serious with you tonight because I feel like the Lord has something for each and every one of you in this room. And I don't, I don't want to ruin it with just more self-deprecation. It's just embarrassing, okay? And so um, I got to tell you, so growing up from basically the time I was born until now, I have been in church. Obviously, I wasn't born in a church. That's weird. But after about six weeks old, my parents were youth pastors, and they started bringing me to church. And so I was constantly in church, literally my entire life. And my parents made a commitment that they would raise my siblings and I in a Christian home, that we would have Christian values, that we would know why we need Jesus, that we would know why we need a savior. And so this was drilled into me at a young age. And I felt the pressure, and maybe you can relate to me, as I know some of you have also grown up in a Christian home, and maybe you have felt the pressure of that a little bit. Maybe you have felt the pressure from your parents to perform. Maybe you have felt the pressure from your parents like you could never catch a break, that you could never have a bad day because after all, you were raised in a church and you should know that when you're hurt, you're bringing hurts to Jesus. And I felt the pressure that I could never sin. I could never mess up. I could never have a bad day. I could never complain about anything because the Bible says don't complain, but I, I was kind of a complainer. And then I felt the pressure that I had to always be in a good friend group. I felt the pressure that I always had to make the right choice. I felt the pressure that if I was in a friend group, then I was sole responsible for every single person in that friend group, that it was all on my shoulders. And I felt this pressure that I had to keep up this image to protect my family. And maybe that's just me, and maybe that's just how I felt, and so I did what any single person would feel when you feel all of these emotions, when you feel like I'm under a microscope, when you feel like I can't mess up, and then when you do mess up, it feels like it hits you 10 times harder because you know the cost of sin. You know the consequence of your actions. And when, it, when you do mess up, when you do sin, then man, you just really beat yourself up about it then you just fall into yourself of feeling, I am unworthy, I am unloved, my parents are disappointed in me, God is disappointed in me, I know better than this. And so I did what any rational teenager would do when I felt this overwhelming pressure. I took it to the Lord. It's not what I did. I actually ran the complete opposite direction. I ran so far away from Jesus because I was so ashamed. I thought following Jesus meant there was absolutely no room for mess-ups. There was no room for bad days or for hurting. There was no room for mistakes. I thought that following Jesus meant I had to uphold an image that was unattainable. And because I thought this, I was resistant to turning to Jesus. I was resistant to following Jesus. And because I kept drifting further and further away, it meant I kept making poor choice after poor choice. I kept feeling shame. I kept feeling embarrassment. Until I was about 13 years old when I was on my grandma's couch in her living room. And she shared with me a little bit about Jesus. And it was there that even though I had heard story after story, I'd probably already asked Jesus to come into my life a billion times before that, I felt like right there was real. And on my grandma's couch at 13, I prayed the prayer of salvation for the billionth and one time. But that 
was it. I simply prayed a prayer. From the time I was 13 until the time I was about 18, I was saved. That's where it ended. I was not a follower of Jesus. I just simply asked him to save me. And you might be saved, but not a follower of Jesus. And I think that that is how most of us in this room would live our lives. We believe that Jesus has saved us. We have prayed that prayer of salvation, asking him to come into our hearts, to lead us, to guide us. We've asked him, yes, Jesus, I understand you died on a cross for me, but also that's where it stops. And maybe, yes, we have prayed that prayer, but when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, we bow out. When it comes to doing the things that Jesus asks us to do or commands us to do, we simply say, nope, I don't want to do it. Whether it's out of laziness, whether it's out of, I just don't want to follow him. Whether it's out of, yes, I like that Jesus saved me, but I don't want the rest that comes with being a follower. And we tend to not live it out. And I'm not up here to come from a place of judgment because I have coming from the same place as you. Even as a pastor, a couple years on staff, for a big chunk of it, I just lived believing I was saved, but not living as a true follower. And as I was preparing this message and praying for this message, I really didn't want to do it. But I felt like God was like, well, I didn't make pastors to be cowards, so I need you to say what I need you to say. And I said, okay, Jesus. But I think what has happened is we have settled for this version of Christianity that is so much less than the version that Jesus introduced us to the world thousands of years ago. Because what we want and what we like about Jesus is his forgiveness. We like that when we mess up, he is quick to forgive us. We like the idea that Jesus saved me, so now I'm going to heaven. We like the idea of unconditional love, that somebody could love us more than anybody else despite our flaws. We like the grace for when we sin, that Jesus doesn't kick us while we're down, but instead he picks us back up. We like the acceptance part. And yes, when you have Jesus, when you have asked him to save you, you absolutely have all of that. But that is only part of our relationship with him. See, following Jesus is a race. It's a marathon. And asking Jesus to save you, to come into your heart, is awesome. And if you have done that, I am so proud of you. All of us on staff, we are so proud of you. But that does not mean you are done. That means that you are just beginning. That means that your race of faith has just started. And we have to recognize that each and every one of us in our lives, we're following something. If we're not following Jesus, then we're probably following our friends. We're probably following the decisions that they make, the choices that they make. We might be following popularity. We might be following culture. We might be following influencers, what people say on Instagram or what these influencers say on TikTok. We might like that they say, look to the stars for your future. You cannot look to the stars for your future. You can look to the creator who made the stars for your future, right? You might be following your family. For a little bit, if you were raised in a Christian home like me, it's okay to follow that family upbringing because they're trying to teach you and implement values in your lives. But there's a certain point where you can't follow them anymore. 
And there's a certain point where your faith in your relationship with Jesus has to be between you and him. Maybe you're following your selfish, selfish desires, your wants and your needs. And the Bible is clear. We can't follow or serve two things. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters at the same time. You will hate one of them and love the other, or you will be faithful to one and dislike the other. You can't serve God and money at the same time. We have to pick what are we following? Because if we are following more than just Jesus, it will not work out. We will try to convince ourselves time and time again, well, I can love something as much as I love God. No, you can't. One will have to give. And what we'll have to give is probably your relationship with Jesus. We have to examine our own hearts to see if we will really do the things that Jesus is asking his followers to do. Not just asking, but commanding his followers to do. A follower of Jesus means he is absolutely everything to us. Not just on a Tuesday and not just on a Sunday, but all of the days in between. He has to become all we need. He has to be the one that you rely on. He has to be it for you. Jesus absolutely has to be enough for you. To be a follower means we are intentional in our relationship with him. That we aren't just reading our Bible out of obligation, but we are reading it out of love and out of deep, deep respect. It's praying because we recognize God is the one in control, not me. It's recognizing my struggles, the things that I face, I lay it at the foot of the cross where he has already taken care of it. We should follow him because we want to, not because we have to. We get to spend time in his presence. We get to hear him speak to us. But we have settled for believing in Jesus instead of following Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that when you really start to follow Jesus, when you truly start to be a follower of Jesus, people see it. People recognize this isn't fake. This isn't a facade that you are putting up. This isn't just somebody that you are trying to be, but this is the real deal. It's exactly who you are. People get to see that there is a God that loves you more than anything else in the world. People get to see that there's a God out there that cares about them. And when people see you are a follower of Jesus, then they get to see it's not fake. It's not a show that you are trying to put on. And when people see that you are following Jesus, like really, truly trying to follow Jesus, well, then people have questions. They want to know how. How do you have peace when the middle, when your life is falling apart? How are you so different? What makes you so different? See, one of the commands when we start our race of faith, when we start really following Jesus, is that we have to tell people about him. Mark 16, 15 says, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Now the good news is just the gospel. It's just the story of Jesus, the story of how Jesus has changed you, the story of how once you were walking without hope and now you have hope. And I know 
that this is our job as believers. We get to tell the world about Jesus. And I know that might feel a little intimidating. When um, I looked up how many people are in the world, and I can't even, I'm not good at math, but I can't even say, so we're just going to say over 7 billion people are in this world. And that can feel very intimidating. That verse says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all of the world. But I'm going to ask you to start small. Start with the people closest to you. I know that that can feel the most intimidating. That can feel the most scary when there is somebody that you love, when you have a best friend who yet you have been withholding from them a part of your life. You've been withholding from them a massive part of who you are, your relationship with Jesus. I know that it's intimidating, but the people closest to you trust you. They want to hear what you have to say. They want to know why are you different. And I don't want to hear excuses, right? We have heard all of the excuses. I'm afraid. What if they judge me? What if they say something? I don't know what I'm even supposed to say. Who cares about your excuses? I'm sorry, but your friends' lives are at stake right now. It is too hurtful not to speak up. It is too hurtful not to say something when people's eternities are on the line. In these moments when I kind of forget, because we're human, we forget what God has done in our lives. We forget what he has brought us out of. We can forget the goodness of who he is. Sometimes we just forget. And when I forget, I like to look back at these big moments that I remember God was there. He showed up in a huge way. And one of those moments is when I think back to Camp 4640 this last May. And when I look back to Camp 4640, this is what I see. This is what we saw as pastors standing in the back of the room on the very first night, night one. Out of more than 200 students in that room, we saw students worship for the first time ever. We saw students pursue the Lord, not just lip service, not just down here saying, oh, I'm just going to sing the words on the screen because everybody else is staring at me. Nobody's actually staring at you. But what we saw was true worshipers. It says in John 4, 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him anyway. And I believe we saw that at camp. I believe we got a glimpse of that. You guys went for it. You guys sent it. And you guys entered into the presence of the Lord. What I saw was kids accept Jesus for the very first time, from sixth grade all the way to 12th grade, and actually make a commitment to follow him. What I saw is you laid down your idols and you said, no more. I'm not bringing these home with me. I'm leaving them up at camp. You even did it before Pastor Sean was done with his altar call because you were ready. You were done with what was weighing you down. What I saw was a room full of students could not wait to come home and share the good news, who could not wait to get home and say, this is what I experienced. How am I supposed to keep quiet about this? I saw a room full of students who were not ashamed of who Jesus was, who were not ashamed of telling people about him. I saw a group of students who stood together and declared out loud, I will hit different. Why are you not hitting differently? 
Are you doing your part in telling people, man, this is what happened to me. This is the goodness that I experienced, and I cannot keep quiet about that. Who cares if you don't have all of the right answers? Who cares if you do not have all of the theology? Who cares? The Bible says in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you will tell people about me in Jerusalem, all of Judea, all of Samaria, and you will even tell other people about me from the ends of the earth to the other. You don't have the words to say? Ask for them. There's no more excuses on why we are staying silent. We, as followers of Jesus, are put on this earth to keep the gospel alive and to keep it going. We're to tell people we love the most about a really good God that we got to experience. We have to tell people that there is hope, that there is more than the depression that they feel, that there is more than the sadness that they feel, that there is a way out, there is hope, and that hope is Jesus. We have to be able to tell people that there's more to life than walking around blind, that there's more to life than walking around seeking truth because Jesus is absolutely the truth. We have to be able to tell them, listen, this is true and this is real. It says in 2 Corinthians, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So that means when all of these people are walking around seeking truth, looking for answers, when they come to know Jesus, the veil is taken off of their eyes. The veil of deception is lifted, and they get to experience freedom. What if the very thing that you experienced in your life is the very thing that brings somebody to come to church? What if your parents' divorce wasn't for nothing? What if it's to tell your best friend who you know is walking through it, but you have kept silent? What if it is to tell them, hey, there is hope. There is peace. There is joy in the midst of our pain. There is joy in the midst of darkness, and it does get better. What if the addiction that you struggled with and you got healing in is because you need to invite somebody and give them that same hope? Hey, there is freedom. There is freedom from addiction. There is freedom in this place. There are people in your life who need you to speak up and quit being quiet. There are people in your life who need you to speak up and say, this is actually the other life I was living. I go to church. I want you to experience it. There are people in your life who are too valuable. I said it earlier, but there's eternities at stake. Meaning, at one point in our lives, it's either heaven or it's, a, it's hell. And we have to be brave enough. We have to be strong enough to speak up. And we have to care enough about our friends to say something. And I get that is an intimidate. I understand that. I understand when the people you feel closest to you are the hardest people to talk about. I get it. There's somebody so close in my life that once knew Jesus and now has turned away. And it is so hard every time I talk to him, him and his wife, and I'm like, listen, if you just knew. But every time I feel like I have to be silent. That's not, that's not okay. Right? If I keep quiet, if I don't speak up and say there is hope for what you're feeling, there is Jesus in all of this pain, if I don't speak up, then who else will? 
And that's not to pressure you or to make you say, oh, I'm not doing enough, I'm not being enough, but it is a call to wake up and to do something. You can tell people about Jesus because you have moments in your lives where you got to experience him, where he has moved, where he has saved you, where he has rescued you, and he has made your life better. If you look around this whole room, it might not seem like it, but there is room for more. There is absolutely room for more, more of your friends. We will buy more couches. We will buy more tables. And when we outgrow that, we will open the bleachers and we will be uncomfortable if it means somebody gets to come and know the comfort of all of this. We will make room. And there is plenty more room. You have people in your life, people that are so close to you, that need you to step up and say something. You've gotten to experience a really good God. You've gotten to have these moments where you are just in awe of Jesus. Do you not want that for your friends? Do you not want that for the people that you love? Do you not want that for others around you, that they get to experience the same thing you do? You have to care about them enough to speak up. Now, the pastors, us on staff, we definitely do not carry as much influence as you do. You have influence. You have influence in your schools. You have influence with your friends. You have influence with the people closest to you. Say something. It says in Romans 10, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? Unless somebody tells them. It's real weird if we go into your schools and say, hey, come to church with me. I'm an adult. That's super awkward. That's really weird. But it's your job to speak up and say something. Because if you don't, then who will? Be bold enough to say, this is how Jesus has changed my life. Be brave enough to speak up and say something. Your friends' eternities are on the line. So we made it a little bit easy for you. All you have to do, get them here. Next week is something that we always do. It is called Bring Your Friend event. We do this around a couple times a year, and this year it's for trick-or-treat. So all you do, you're going to Bring your friend. If they've never been before, you get a whole lot of tickets. If your friend has never been before, you get a whole lot of tickets. Your hand goes into a drawing. We pick out. If your number gets called, you come up onto the stage. You knock on the door. You say trick or treat. You get a trick or a treat. Pretty self-explanatory. But what we'll also do is bring them, get them here by saying there's a lot of gift cards we give out. I know y'all can leave for campus for lunch. Why not do it with some free gift cards that we give you, right? Get them here. So you can win prizes, you can win money, you can win gift cards, you can win this massive, these massive candy bundles that Hope does all the shopping for and they're amazing. If you've ever been to a trick-or-treat event, then you know it's pretty sick if I do say so myself. But that's happening next week, like next Tuesday. And so for the last couple of weeks, we have been announcing this to bring your friend but now it is up to you. You get your friends here, you have them come, and then we get to teach them about who Jesus is. We get to teach them about the greatest man to ever live, the greatest love story to ever exist. And at the end of the night, your friends get a chance 
to accept Jesus. Your friends get a chance to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So when you leave tonight, grab a flyer. Grab as many flyers as you need. What I want to encourage you is just to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I think that all of us have that one friend in our life that we can think of. That one friend that we're like, man, I know that they need to come here. I know that they need to get here. I just want you to think about them. It's okay if they've been here before and then they left. Bring them back. Just think about at least one person you could bring. One person you can invite. Could you imagine if every single one of you brought somebody? Y'all, we're going to outgrow this student center fast. If we outgrow it, great. God will provide another, another building for us. But could you imagine that your friend comes, they get to hear the gospel, they accept Jesus, they commit to following him, and then that person brings a friend, and then that person hears about the gospel, and that person's life gets changed, and then that person brings a friend, and that person hears about the gospel, and their life gets changed. Could you imagine the impact? Like, just picture it. What would happen if that one friend you have that you know needs help gets help? How drastically could their lives be different? How drastically does their life change? Because you spoke up and you said, come to church with me. So God, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of these students in this room. Lord, we pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just release boldness in this room. God, we just deaf, dumb, and mute the enemy. He doesn't get a say in who we bring. He doesn't get a say and try to stop it. But Lord, we just ask for boldness. That these students would invite one person, just one. And imagine, imagine the work that you could do in their lives. Imagine lost kids get to find their home. Imagine helpless kids find hope again. Imagine if every single student in Mesa County came to know you. God, we want to make it hard for kids to go to hell. We don't want that to be an option. So Jesus, I just ask right now that you would bring these students, you'd bring them somebody in their mind. You would just give them boldness to invite them. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.